Good morning, New Life. <laughs> it's so good to see you in the room. And for those of you online, just such a joy uh, to slowly begin gathering again and uh, looking forward to the weeks and the months ahead as more and more of us can be here in the physical space. And uh, what a blessing, right? Uh, my name is Sharon Swift. I'm the pastor of Connections, Connections and Equipping here at New Life. And uh, we're going to continue with our series in Romans 8. Um, we kicked off the series a few weeks ago with Pastor Rich preaching to us from that opening uh, verse that there is no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ, that God has made up his mind about us and he's not going to change it. And then last week, he continued with um, talking about acceptance and obedience, and that our obedience flows out of a place of acceptance, that we are accepted by God. It's not our, our obedience that gets us acceptance, but it's our acceptance that fuels our obedience. And so with today's text, um, we'll be looking at Romans 8, 14 through 17. Um, and with today's text, we're going to be able to look at this from yet another angle that Paul gives us, the uh, angle of adoption, that we are adopted children in Christ. And so with that, I want to read um, the passage for today, Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, help us to receive your word today for us. That we are called as children and not as enslaved people. That we are loved and chosen Expose the lies that we've believed, Lord, and guide us into your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, the first thing that caught my eye with this passage is the fact that it talks about fear. And the reason that caught my eye is, like, for me personally, I have found this to be a recurring theme over the years. See, about three years ago, I had an accident, a fall, where I suffered a traumatic brain injury. I've mentioned that before, so some of you are familiar. Um, but it was a long road of recovery. I was just at the end of seminary. I was about five weeks away from finishing seminary, and this fall happens, and suddenly my cognitive abilities are diminished. And I am not able to communicate effectively. I'm repeating myself. I can't think of words. I'm struggling to write. And here I am about to embark, uh, what I thought, embark on a, a life of ministry, of preaching, of teaching. And I was really struggling to read, to write, to communicate. And I sat there and I thought in the weeks uh, and months that came after as I was recovering, unable to work and resting, I thought, what if that was it? 
what if the time that I had just had was that window of opportunity for ministry? And the reason that that shook me to the core was because I spent so much of that time afraid. I was so timid and afraid to do the things that God called me to do. I didn't step in with confidence. It may have looked that way sometimes, but so much of the time I was afraid. Afraid of making a mistake, of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Afraid of making a mistake that would uh, disqualify me from ministry or from being a, a good Christian. And so I spent so many of those years preparing for ministry afraid. And I thought, what if that was it? And I spent so much of that time living out of a place of fear. And then that was it. You know, that was my shot. And so I remember praying and repenting and uh, saying to God how sorry I was. I let fear dominate his call on my life and the things he asked me to do. And I remember praying, Lord, if I get another chance, if I recover enough to be able to do the things, even half as much as I could do them before, I will do it boldly. I will do it wholeheartedly. Now that was easier said than done um, because fear can be a very strong emotion. And um, I think that fear has shaped more of my life and my decisions than I really want to admit. So that was a clear take of that. Serving God again and working again. I asked myself, and I asked this of you, what would change if you weren't afraid? What would change in your life, in the way you serve God, if you weren't afraid? It's a big question. See, here, Paul is not presenting us fear and courage and saying the opposite of fear is to just be brave, to have courage, uh, to dig down deep. Instead, he sort of brings this image of enslavement and that we're prone to fear because we're enslaved. And it's likely that he means enslaved to sin because chapter 6 and chapter 7, he really spends time exploring this idea of slavery and being enslaved to sin, being under this power of sin. And so it's that enslavement to sin that makes us prone and vulnerable to fear and to giving into fear. And so instead of setting up fear and courage and saying, you know, this is an issue of having more courage, instead he contrasts the underlying issue which is that it's an identity issue. And he uses an, a metaphor to illustrate that underlying issue of identity, and he contrasts enslavement with adoption. And so I want to explore that with you today, because I really believe that embracing our adoption in Christ frees us from the grip of fear. Embracing our adoption in Christ frees us from the grip of fear. See, this is why this passage hit me so hard in the last couple of weeks. I've, I've heard a lot of sermons. I've sang a lot of songs. I've declared over my life that I'm a child of God. But, and if you asked me even two weeks ago, I would have confidently said, of course, I'm a child of God. 
But the reality is, as I worked through this passage more and more, and I thought about the contrast between an enslaved person and a child, the truth started to sink in deeper. And I guess it shouldn't surprise me, because I was orphaned as a teen. It makes sense that I would struggle with understanding what being a child of God could mean. Children in Christ. And so... To bring this point home, to help us understand what this means, I want to look at two contrasts here. Um, the enslaved person and an adopted child, and what makes them similar, but what makes them different. And so both of them are dependent, but the, dependent, the enslaved person is dependent on a master, on someone who assigns them work, uh, their relationship is governed by that work and the completion of the work. And so uh, that's a different type of relationship than a child and a parent would have. Whereas a child and parent, the child eventually grows, even though when they're young, they're told what to do and when to do it, a child will eventually grow up and become uh, more independent. Their identity and status are different. An enslaved person, their identity and status is based on work and productivity. And as I go through here, start to think about where you're finding yourself, which column is resonating with you as I go. Um, because for me, I found myself on this enslaved person column. Identity and status based on work and productivity. You are what you do. You are what your recent accomplishment was. You are what you did just now, not even uh, the good things you did previous. Um, whereas an adopted child, their identity and status is based on their name and relationship. That they have that name, that family name, and that they are related, they are connected uh, inseparably, uh, inseparably from that family and that household. Um, they, the enslaved person is oriented to the past. Their present is actually defined by whatever situation put them into slavery. So they're kind of oriented backward until they can be freed from their current uh, enslavement. And I should point out here that enslavement in the first century and in the Roman world was completely different than the type of slavery that existed in the United States. Um, so I want to make clear that uh, enslavement here uh, was different, and there was usually some circumstance that led to enslavement, not something inherent in the person. And so they're defined by whatever that circumstance was. Until that obligation is fulfilled, they cannot be free. Oriented towards the future is the way the child, adopted child is. Their, their present is defined by actually the future inheritance that's coming and preparing them for that and working towards that. The enslaved person is in a temporary situation. Again, in the first century, that was the case. And they were vulnerable, actually, because of that. Um, they could be released at any time, especially if they're seen as a burden. If they get older and the family doesn't want to have to be obligated to care for them in their old age, they will actually release them from their enslavement. But that means now they have spent the bulk of their life uh, unable to prepare for the future for themselves. And then finally, uh, oh, I should say, the adopted child is a permanent member of the household. And adoption is not permanent times that severed easily. It's a permanent status that cancels out every previous status you had. So it is secure. You're a member of the household and have a shared future with that household. And then finally, the enslaved person shares in the labor, but doesn't share in the wealth of the household. Whereas the adopted child labors, but is part of that wealth and that future of the household. 
So as you hear these things and you see this contrast, where do you see yourself? How are you living? How are you functioning in the household of God? Because when I looked at this list, I realized I was functioning like an enslaved person in the household of God. Let me ask you a few other questions to tease this out to help you really wrestle with this. Do you, do you define a good day strictly by how productive you were, how much you got done in that day? Now, that could be whether you're an employee, a stay-at-home parent, whether you're a business owner. Is that how you define your day? Do you define your walk by wondering when God is going to change his mind about you? Are you afraid that one mistake or the wrong type of mistake will put you outside of God's love? Do you hesitate to step out and serve in the way that God called you to or to witness to others because you're too focused on your past and who you were before Christ? Instead of thinking about the potential of what God could do if you step out in faith. Maybe you had a difficult relationship with your parents. And it's hard to believe that God is a different type of parent. I have been there. I have been in all of those camps at one point or another. And maybe you've been in multiple uh, areas like that too. Locating yourself in this grid of an enslaved person or child is so important because that's where we know God is at work in your life. That is where he's actively doing some work of healing. That's that growing edge of our lives that we can invite God to come in and heal. He wants to do that work. And when we're aware of where that space is, we can invite him in and we can cry out, Abba, Father, and let his spirit testify to our spirit that we are children of God, that we can walk in that assurance of faith directly from the spirit of God himself. And so I also want to point out that Adoption is different than being born into a family, isn't it? Paul intentionally uses the language of adopted as a child and not just that we're born in. Um, Some of us will see, in fact, with this language of adoption, I just want to clarify something. Some of you will see in your translations, especially in verse 15, that it says adoption to sonship. Um, And I want to be just careful here about the term sonship. Uh, Paul uses a lot of legal terms in this Romans letter, and this is kind of one of them. This, This word could be specifically chosen to highlight the fact that these are two legal statuses in a household. And he's showing that we're adopted into the highest level in that society of childhood, that we're adopted as that primary heir, that first born son. And that later, he uses a word for children that, that's uh, neutral. It can mean men or women. And so we know that this is not limited to the men or to sons, but this is for all of us who have the Spirit of God inside of us. 
But adoption's complex, isn't it? It's more complicated than the family you were born into. Now, if you were born, adopted as an infant, you may not know the difference. If you look like your adopted family, more or less, you may never have known any kind of difference. But if you're older when you get adopted, and all of us who have come to Christ have come in uh, under this idea of adoption, we've come in later in our lives, not at the moment we were born, it's more complicated. I remember as a teenager, I lived with another family for a time, and it was really hard to really believe that I wasn't still a guest in that household, but that I was part of that family, that they saw me as one of them and I, that I fully fit. It was a struggle. I felt like a guest for a very long time. See, we can know technically that we're children, we can know our legal statuses as children, but we can struggle to embrace it. Owning that status is a completely different step. And I think that's where the courage comes in. It's the courage to combat fear comes from knowing that status. The courage to combat fear comes from our status as children of God. When my kids were little, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of great examples of feeling that secure as a child, but I do from, I hope, from my own children's uh, childhood. Um, actually, when I discussed sharing this story, Tilly, uh, my older daughter, definitely wanted to make sure that you know that she was the primary actor in this story. But the two kids were playing on the bed. You know, we, uh, Andrew and I would sometimes have them on the bed and, you know, tickle or play and play with their stuffed animals and things. And, you know, they'll be rolling around and being silly. But here's the thing. They felt fearless because Andrew and I were there, right? They'd be throwing themselves around and tossing themselves on the bed and on the pillows and bopping each other with things. and like you're going to catch out you know before you're even ready she's like thrust herself into the world and so you know here we are we're trying to like have fun but also catch them as they're kind of bouncing around and playing well Tilly gets on one end of the bed and she stands up and then she decides she's going to kind of do this full-on fall flat onto the bed now first of all the, the bed is not that thick it's not that plush of a mattress that we had and then on top of that Abby was still on the bed And I'm kind of off to the side, you know, kind of just making sure they're staying safe. And so here she comes down. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, okay, I have to keep them both safe. I got to try to catch her and move Abigail out of the way. And so I do that, but when she comes down, her head lands on my nose and it breaks my nose. And in fact, you know, I was such a busy mother. I had, you know, Tilly was like two and Abby was not even one. And so... I didn't even bother going to the doctor. I thought, what are they going to do for me? Years later, I found out when Tilly broke her nose, yes, she remained a bit fearless. Uh, (laughs) She broke her nose, and I, of course, took her to the doctor, and I found out there was something they could have done. But I have this little dent here on my nose from that time. Uh, It's a a part of me now, um, and Tilly, you know, wanted to make sure you knew that that was her. Um, And so I bear that, that mark, but the reality is I think about that time a lot and how fearless they were, how how, uh, free they felt, because Andrew and I were there, and they felt secure. They knew that we would do everything in our power to keep them safe. And even if we fell short of being able to completely shield them from harm, we were going to be there for them 
to pick them back up and to make it better. I aspire to that kind of freedom in my walk with God. I want to feel that free. That not that I'm reckless or careless, you know, we're not two-year-olds, right? Um, but that I am free to believe that God has his, uh, my best interests at heart, that he's in it for my good, that he is looking out for me. Now, Paul cautions us in this passage too that it's not all sunshine and roses, uh, just like the broken nose. Uh, <laughs> just like many families you might know now and maybe your own, being part of a family means you share in the good times and the difficult times. And that's where he cautions us in verse 17, that if we're children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. See, that's the part of being a child that's different than being enslaved. We get to share not only in the difficulties, but in the inheritance to come and in the profound joy that's ahead for the family. So embracing our status as co-heirs with Christ, as joint heirs with him, the firstborn of all creation, means that we don't have to live like enslaved people anymore. We have been released from the grip of fear. So let me ask you again, just like I did earlier in this, in this time, what would change if you weren't afraid? What would change if you weren't afraid? Fear is normal. It's a part of our lives. It's necessary. It's part of us being emotional beings. It's bad to experience fear. Dominate our decision making and dominate our day to day lives. Instead, we want the Spirit of God to dominate. We want our lives in God to, to uh, be free from fear. And so, what would change? if you weren't afraid. Take a moment and really think about that. How would you step out in faith to do what God is asking you to do? How generous would you be with others? How patient would you be? What would be different I lead Lectio Divina and Daily Examine uh, each week online on my Instagram and YouTube, and there's a movement in both of those that's called response. And I often pause at response because here's the thing, this is sometimes where that enslaved uh, person shows up, that enslaved identity shows up. We often think of a response is uh, doing, is action. It's being something more. But oftentimes, a response is actually allowing God to affirm a truth in you. To, by his spirit, uproot a lie we've believed, a script we repeat to ourselves over and over, and instead allow the spirit of God to testify with our spirit and implant a truth deeply in us. And so that's what I want to invite us to do now. I want to pray 
and invite the Spirit of God to implant this truth of identity deeply in us. That God has called you as his adopted child. Adopted, a child that he's chosen. A child that he has chosen and delights in. A child that he's proud to say, is, that's my boy, that's my girl. That he looks at you and says, oh, doesn't my daughter resemble me? Can you see? Can you see the resemblance? Can you see that? Can you see my son? That's, he gets that from me. Can you hear the voice of God today saying that to you? Can you hear his spirit testifying in your spirit? Let's pray. Lord, this is both a beautiful truth and a hard truth for some of us. That we are your children. That you have chosen us. That you call us your own that you look at us with pride that we're attached to you. Lord, I pray that you, by your spirit, would uproot that lie that we have to live, continue to live like enslaved people, that we have to continue to live like those who are dominated by the power of sin, that we have to be controlled by fear. And instead, God, I pray that by your spirit, you would testify with our spirit that we are children of God, that our spirits would cry out, Abba, Father, and that we would embrace that we are sons and daughters and that nothing, no power, nothing in this world can change that status. May we walk in that power, in that confidence, in that truth to love and serve the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Sharon, for unpacking the scriptures for us and reminding us of this good news. Let's all stand together, everyone. What a wonderful passage and a wonderful message on that passage. And as Sharon was preaching, I, I was reminded of the good truth that we are brought into the family of God, not based on our goodness, but based on the grace of God. I remember walking into a pet store where dogs were being adopted and, and you could tell that the dogs were showing off. They're wagging their tail, they're on their best behavior. And in the pet store, it's often the case that you're adopted based on how cute you are. And you're adopted based on how well behaved you are. But God doesn't choose us because we're cute, amen. God doesn't choose us because we are well-behaved. God chooses us not because of our goodness. God chooses us because God is good. And we rest in that truth this day. Amen. 
Before I bless you and pray a prayer for those of you watching online, I wanted to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, we are, for the, for the next few weeks or so, and every week we are reexamining what it means to be in a, and have in-person worship. And so on our website, there's a list of FAQs that will probably be changing in light of changes taking place in our city, in our state, and in our nation. Uh, we'll still have registration, and so we'll be doing that for the foreseeable future, just registering. And little by little, we'll be opening up more space within the sanctuary. And at some point, we'll start having two services and uh, little by little going back to what we were accustomed to before the pandemic. Uh, and so I just want to thank you, first of all, from the bottom of my heart of just how uh, you have been so amazing as a congregation uh, trying to love one another in the common good just by wearing masks. And, you know, this can be a very hotly divided issue in our nation, and it has been. But I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for just being gracious and loving and open and being willing to worship in this way. And by God's grace, this is not going to be how it's going to always be at all, uh, uh, you know, for forever. Not at all. But I just want to thank you for uh, just the amazing congregation you always are uh, and I am so grateful to be uh, your pastor it's been a joy to connect with you outside of our uh, the porch out there and at the end of the service I'll be out there Pastor Sharon will be out there and we'd love to connect with you um, at the end of our service addition in addition to that for those of you watching online we have not forgotten about you online and I miss you too as well and can't wait to see you we have a sermon discussion at the end of the service. And so if you want to be in conversation with others, one of our pastors will be hosting that space. Click on that link and have a 30-minute conversation on what we have just uh, heard in this message. And finally, before I bless you, some of you watching online, some of you might be in this room today. Maybe you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ. You've never said yes to his love. And today you're sensing something in your soul stirring. You're tired of walking in fear. You want to walk in the love of God. And so you can very simply text yes to Jesus at that number that's on the screen, whether you're watching online or whether you're watching from in here. And one of our pastors would love to be in touch with you to see how we can serve you in your relationship with God. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. Whether you're watching online and you're in your kitchen right now with a cup of coffee, put that coffee down and open your hands to receive a blessing. And let me bless you all here. And then after I bless you, Pastor Jackie will come in here. All of you uh, can be seated for just a moment and she'll give some final instructions before we head out. But with your hands in your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that in Christ Jesus, there's nothing to fear. And may the Spirit continue to bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of the living God. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said... Amen. Grace and peace to you all.